0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are always with us. And we ask now that you would speak your word to us. That we would hear your word and it would bear fruit in our lives all to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Kids, uh, if you haven't already, I invite you to head to the back for your special class. You can meet your teachers right by the back door. And as you're getting settled here, if you would, turn with me to Luke 24, read today. Luke 24, we'll begin at verse 44 in a moment, page 885 in the Red Bibles in front of you. Luke 24, page 885. And we continue today our series on the Nicene Creed, this creed that we affirm each week. This is now the fourth installment of this series. I'm going to do an activity with you. We're going to do an activity together. I'm going to say a statement and you have to point one way or the other based on whether it's an opinion statement or a truth claim statement. So everybody look at that wall over there. Familiarize yourself with it. That's the opinion wall. Now you can look at this wall over here. That's the truth claim wall. When I've done this with teenagers, I've made them get up and walk to one side or the other. I'm not making you do that. You can just point like this. And only you, me, and the Lord will know which way you pointed. But one way or the other. If it's an opinion statement, just point that way. If it's a truth claim statement, point that way. Make sense? Very simple. All right. Opinion, truth claim. Chocolate is better than vanilla. Opinion, truth claim. All right. So that would be an opinion. Opinion. Now, someone's going to be an engineer and say, Michael, you said it like a truth claim. Yes, but the meaning of the statement was clearly expressing an opinion. Can we agree to that? All right, that was your freebie. You understand the way this works now. All right. People need to drink water in order to live. Opinion, truth claim. All right, very good. Truth claim. People need to consume arsenic in order to live. Opinion, truth claim. Ah... Now, am I stating an opinion or a truth claim? It's false, but is it an opinion or a truth claim? No, it's not an opinion. It's a truth claim, it's just wrong. Do you see the difference? It's false, but just because it's wrong doesn't mean it's an opinion. I'm stating it as a truth claim, it's just false. Do you understand the difference? We'll keep going. Albert Pujols, the baseball player, Albert Pujols uh, plays for the New York Mets. Opinion, truth claim? Which one is it? Ah, now because you don't know, people are doing things like pointing in the middle. Is it an opinion or a truth claim? It's a truth claim. It's false. He doesn't play for the New York Mets. He plays for the Angels. But it's a truth claim. Do you see? I'm not expressing an opinion that chocolate's better than vanilla. I'm expressing a truth truth claim. It's just, in this case, again, false. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Opinion, truth claim. Now, because this is a church, everybody pointed that way, if you do this in a place that's not filled with Christians, people say it's an opinion because again they're saying in their view they're saying it's false therefore it must be an opinion but the point is we're not ca- we're not sharing an opinion we're claiming that it is true jesus really did die for our sins on the cross all right keep going for our sake he was crucified under pontius pilate he suffered death and was buried opinion or truth claim truth claim On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Opinion or truth claim? He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Opinion or truth claim? Very good. These statements in the creed that we affirm are either true or they are false, but they are not opinions we are stating them as concrete historical realities or concrete realities that will one day happen, like Jesus returning. But they are in that category over there, as truth claims, not opinions over here. Now, not too long ago, I, uh, someone in my family said to me, it doesn't matter if Jesus actually rose from the dead— What matters is that I believe it, and what that belief does inside of me. That's what I was told. But what I want to make very clear is that what we are affirming in the Creed, because this is what the Bible teaches, is that these events are real and true and historical events that really did happen in actual history. We are not affirming our feelings on the matter but affirming the truth of history. We are affirming that these events really happened, and the historical nature of them is essential. Now, did you know that in the first half of the 1900s, about 100 years ago, there were critics that were claiming that Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who handed Jesus over to be crucified, there was a claim that Pontius Pilate, as a person, never existed the claim was he was just literally just made up that christian uh, the claim was that christian faith was so far removed from reality from actual history that even the roman governor was just made up out of whole cloth and then in 1961 this stone was discovered that dates back to the late 20s or early 30s with a official roman inscription stating pontius pilate to be the governor of Judea, at exactly that time, just as the Bible says. Now, of course, showing this stone and uh, highlighting that Pontius Pilate was, in fact, the governor of Judea certainly does not logically then prove all of the claims that the Bible makes. Of course not, but it does help ground the claims of Scripture in actual history. And the suggestion that the Bible is just sort of unhistorical or that history doesn't matter just doesn't fit. The Bible, and we affirm it in the Creed, is grounded in actual history, and that history matters. Our claims here in the Creed about Jesus are truth claims. We're, We're dealing with that category over there. These are affirmations that these events really happened. This is what we believe and we are affirming them as actual events in actual history. Now, our reading today from Luke 24 recounts Jesus' suffering and his death to the apostles. And he says to them in verse 48, if you've got your Bible open, he says to them in verse 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things. You know this happened. You know the truth of this message because you saw it, and you experienced it. These men and women know that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, that he suffered death and was buried. They saw it themselves, with their own eyes. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, similarly recounts these events, and Paul writes this. He says, If Christ has not been raised, meaning if he hasn't bodily risen from the dead, If Christ has not been raised, then we are misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The Bible states and we affirm in the creed that these are true events that really happened and that matters. And one event in the creed that uh, the creed affirms, one event in scripture that the creed affirms, that's so important we set aside this week each year to commemorate is that, as it says in the creed, Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is called the ascension. Actually, technically it was Thursday, um, but we always celebrate it on the Sunday closest. Jesus really bodily ascended, rose into heaven, and disappeared from his disciples' view. Not because heaven is physically located somewhere up there just out of sight, but because ascending was an obvious symbol of what was happening, that he was going to the Father. Now, there are critics who mock the ascension of Jesus as some sort of primitive carryover from a time when people thought heaven was up there physically, that you could just go high enough into. But we know, and honestly so did they, that God isn't just above the roof, but seeing Jesus ascend showed dramatically what was happening. That he was departing them for the final time. And seeing him physically ascend showed graphically the reality of what was happening, that he was going to the Father in glory. And in the Creed, we affirm that Jesus really did bodily ascend into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we affirm that he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and that his kingdom will have no end. And we believe and affirm that this is true and really happened. What we're going to do briefly this morning is I want to look at one thing that the Ascension means for us. One thing that the Ascension means. There are others, but we'll look at the Ascension every year. But one thing that the Ascension means for us today, and then three ways that we see in this passage that each one of us is called to respond. And so the first, the the thing that we see here that the Ascension means for us is that Jesus' mission is vindicated. Jesus' mission is vindicated. Look at verse 44. Jesus says to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. And then verse 51, he ascends into heaven. Now you see, to both Romans and Jews at the time, the fact not only that Jesus died, but more importantly that he died on a cross, that could mean nothing short of a complete and total discrediting of everything he said and did dying on a cross discredited his mission entirely the messiah cannot die on a cross die maybe but on a cross absolutely not his crucifixion meant to everyone that his mission was a complete and total failure It meant that God had abandoned him. God the Father had abandoned him. It meant that he was completely rejected and he died like an animal on that cursed tree of shame. And so here in verse 44 and following, Jesus has to show his disciples that the Bible all along has said that he was in fact going to suffer and die and rise again. He says essentially to them, You missed it, but it's been here all along. And he has to show them that his mission of salvation and forgiveness and love and establishing God's kingdom was not a failure because of the cross, but it was actually a victory because of the cross. The cross is crucial to that mission, the suffering was essential. God's plan. And it had been there all along. He has to show his disciples that this has been God's plan all along. And in the ascension, Jesus, God the Son, in the ascension, Jesus is welcomed into the presence of God the Father in glory. Far from being cursed and rejected as the disciples assumed had happened when they saw him on the cross, rather Jesus is welcomed into the glory of and takes his seat at his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father. The ascension declares that Jesus' mission of love and forgiveness and freedom from the powers of sin and death, it shows that it worked. Jesus ascends victorious. His ascension means that his mission is vindicated. And so then, because his mission is vindicated, because he takes his seat in glory, we then see in this passage three ways that each one of us is called to respond. Three ways that the disciples respond that we are then called to imitate. And the first is to worship Jesus. We're called to worship Jesus. Verse 52. It says that after the disciples saw Jesus ascend, they worshipped him. Now remember, they are strict monotheists. They believe correctly that there is only one God. They know that there is only one God. They are very clear on that and they are absolutely correct about that. And yet, here they are worshipping Jesus. You see, they've gotten a glimpse of what we talked about two weeks ago about the truth of the first part of the creed about Jesus. They've gotten to see the reality that Jesus is, using the words in the creed, Jesus is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. They're getting to see that reality in front of them. They're getting to see the truth of what would later be written as John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They're getting a glimpse of that, of who Jesus is, and so seeing who he is, finally, they fall down in worship. The disciples recognize who he is, that he is God incarnate, and so they worship Jesus. And so should we. Because Jesus ascended, we must worship Jesus. Second, obey with joy. Jesus has just told them in verse 49, he says, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that next week. But stay in the city, go wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. So then, so he tells them to do something, and then verse 52, they worship Jesus and return to Jerusalem in obedience to what he's just commanded them to do, and they obey joyfully. Matthew's account of this same event, Jesus specifically tells the disciples to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Obedience to Jesus matters. Living a life marked by his kingdom reign matters. We worship Jesus, and we then must obey his commands. And we need to obey with joy. Now, parents, you know you're not perfect. At least I hope you know you're not perfect. You know you're not perfect, but you want what's best for your kids. And you know whether it's rare in your house or not. But you know what it's like to tell your child to do something because you want what's best for them. And you know how wonderful it is when you are met with something like, okay, Dad, sure thing, Mom. You know how wonderful that is, obedience with joy. On the other hand, (laughs) what happens to your relationship with your child When the constant response, the constant answer is followed by either begrudging, whining compliance or just open defiance. We are called to respond to Jesus ascended into heaven by obeying him with joy. And third, be committed to the church wholeheartedly committed to the church. Verse 53 says that the disciples were continually in the temple blessing God. As they worshiped Jesus, as they obeyed with joy, they were continually, constantly committed to the church. They were continually in the temple in worship. Now I will tell you, That in my years as a pastor, the single most common thing I hear from people, without a doubt, the most common thing I hear from people, whether it's in my office or talking with people in the community, is some version of, I pray or worship at home, but I don't go to church. I'd say in my life I hear that literally from at least someone once every two weeks. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I pray once in a while, or I pray every day. I read the Bible once in a while, or I read the Bible every day. But I never or rarely go to church, usually followed by I don't need to. Now I want to be very clear that the model and the expectation for Christians that we see here in the apostles, but then also throughout Scripture, is the call to be wholeheartedly committed to the church. The disciples, upon seeing Jesus glorified and ascended into heaven, begin to be continually committed to the church, worshiping faithfully together in church. Nothing was going to keep them from being together in worship. This was not optional or secondary. This was essential to the way that they lived out the kingdom reign of their ascended Lord. So my invitation to each one of us and my encourage and challenge to us is to take this call seriously, to be faithfully committed to the church as the disciples here model for us, to be continually in the temple praising God, to make this the top priority that it needs to be, worshiping together, not occasionally, not monthly, but really weekly. The disciples are continually in the temple, praising God. And so should we. After witnessing the ascension, this vindication of Jesus' mission, the disciples then model for us our proper response. Our response of worshiping Jesus, of obeying with joy, and being wholeheartedly committed to his church. So friends, as we recite this creed each week, I invite and encourage you to enter in with your mind, with your brain turned on, with your voice, join in, but also with your heart. Don't just be a robot going through the motions, though I will say that motions matter a great deal, but let's in just a moment respond with joy and awe in the words of this creed to our great and ascended lord jesus jesus who is worthy of our worship who is worthy of our joyful obedience and is worthy of our continual ongoing commitment to his people the church amen